0: It's great to see all of you here this morning. I want to start by asking a question, and I certainly don't want to put anybody on the spot here, but how many of you in the last couple of weeks have at least picked up the book of Exodus once and read any of it? Hey, all right, very good, very good. Hey, let me just keep encouraging you. Read the book of Exodus, and if you haven't read that yet, uh, man, just start digging into it, and I think once you do, you're going to see just how practical this uh, Old Testament book of the Bible is, and just how it still, even to this day, speaks directly into our walk with Jesus Christ. That's because it's the inspired Word of God, and uh, these truths are timeless here that we're learning in the book of Exodus. So the reason I ask that question, if you're brand new with us today, is we started a couple weeks ago a brand new series called Rescued, a study of the book of Exodus, and I've challenged our whole church family to read the entire book of Exodus, I want to continue to keep that challenge out there in front of us. If you haven't done so yet, go ahead and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 is where we're going to be today, and just in case you're wondering, we're not going to stop at chapter 3, we're going to go into chapter 4, so we're going to cover a pretty good-sized chunk of, of Scripture today, which means... I'm not going to read every verse in these two chapters, but I'm counting on you to be reading these verses. So what we don't, you know, spend a lot of time focusing on today or what we might summarize verse read, um, I want you to go back and read it and really fill in some of those gaps. Now, where we left off last week, we left Moses in the land of Midian. He fled to Midian. Do you remember why he left Egypt and went to Midian? Do you remember the circumstances around that? It's because he went out to see the Hebrew people, because he was one, even though he grew up as an Egyptian royal. And he went out to see them and he saw a slave master beating up on and abusing one of the, the Hebrews. And so when nobody was looking, Moses killed him. And Moses thought this was a good thing. He made a judgment call according to his moral compass and he did it. And he thought they would see him as a rescuer. That's what the book of Acts tells us. But what actually happened. When it became discovered what he had done, the Hebrews that he thought he was helping, they actually rebuked him for it. They're like, who do you think you are? And he was surprised by this. And then when Pharaoh found out what he had done, Pharaoh wanted Moses dead. So what does Moses do? He takes off and he starts a brand new life in the land of of Midian. And once there, he starts his brand new life. It will encompass 40 years of his life. You might remember his first 40 was in Egypt. His next 40 will be in the land of Midian. And once he's there, he got married. He he started a family, had some kids, and he's working as a shepherd for his father-in-law. And this is 40 years of his life. We don't know much about these 40 years in Moses' life, but if I had to guess, he was trying to leave the memory of Egypt behind. Okay, that's, if I, I just, that's what the scripture makes me think, that he had no, you know, no, no thought, no inclination of ever going back to Egypt, even though he grew up an Egyptian royal, he was happy living as a family man in the land of Midian, earning his living as a shepherd. Here we have Moses now, he's in his 80s when we get to Exodus chapter 3. And like I said, the farthest thing from his mind is ever going back to Egypt. But let me tell you something that uh, comes to my attention as I read Exodus chapter 3 when God calls Moses in his 80s. It tells me that God never once ever takes his eyes off of us. It doesn't matter if you're eight years old or you're 80 years old, God's eyes are never off of you. Now you can take your eyes off of God, but God is never going to take his eyes off of you. And Moses is going to learn this in a very practical way right here in Exodus chapter three. So let's just start digging into this. Look at verse one of chapter three. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, I'm gonna stop right here for just a minute because I would like for all of you to make a mental note of something we just read. And that mental note is this, the mountain of God. Okay, the mountain of God. If you underline stuff in your Bibles, I would underline that, put a little star by it. But I want you to remember that because the mountain of God, as it turns out, will become a very significant place later on in the book of Exodus. Now this is the first mention of it and that's why I want to point it out to you. This is the place, this mountain of God, this area around it, that God will call Moses and he will have this this manifestation of God right here near this mountain. But let me tell you, this is just the first of many things that Moses and the Israelites will experience at this mountain. Later on in the book of Exodus, we're gonna learn that this is the mountain that Moses went up to get the 10 Commandments and he came back down to deliver them to the people. This will be a mountain that will times appear in a very dense cloud. And people will hear God's voice in this cloud, but they will not see him. This is the the mountain that God would tell Moses that he's got to put a border around it to keep people away. They're not allowed to approach the mountain. They're not allowed to set foot on the mountain or touch the mountain or they're going to be put to death. Only at a certain time would they be allowed to approach this mountain. This is the area that we're talking about. The Bible speaks that there was thunder and there was lightning and there was a cloud that covered this mountain and it was all accompanied by these large trumpet blasts that, that put fear and trembling in all the Israelites. It's at this mountain of God. This mountain at times would be covered in smoke and that is because the Lord would descend upon this mountain in a flame of fire. And the Bible speaks that, that this mountain would smoke and smoke would rise from this mountain like a smokestack from a furnace. That's this mountain. This is the mountain that one time Moses came down off of after spending time with God. And they said that his face was radiant. It was glowing. And they had to put a veil over Moses' face just so people could spend time around him. It's this place. This is the area around this mountain that would be the setting of one of the Israelites' lowest moments. You see, Moses was up on the mountain and the people got impatient. And so they created their own god. It was a cow-like god. And they made a statue of it. And they all started to worship this god. A a lot of things happen at this mountain. Really incredible things. And even just describing it to you, you might be thinking, that sounds like an incredible place. Where is this mountain? I'd like to go see this mountain. Uh, Why is this not one of the top tourist sites in the world? Well, that's a very loaded question. It's a question that probably fits better in the next Unearthed series when we do that again. And we're not gonna talk about it right now, but let me just say, that is the subject of a whole lot of debate. It's a spiritual debate. It's a biblical debate. It's most certainly an archeological debate and one we're not gonna solve during this series. People have been trying to figure this out for years, but let me just tell you this. It is a real place. That real place still exists today. And there's a lot of ideas and uh, interesting ones about this place. But I want you to see today in Exodus chapter 3 that we get our first introduction to this incredible place that will serve as the setting for these incredible things and I can't wait till we get to that part in our study and it begins right here in Exodus 3 with the manifestation of God in the form of a bush that was on fire but never burn up and it sparks Moses' curiosity. Now let's look at verse 2 together. The angel of the Lord appeared in, in, to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. I think Moses is doing here what I think most of us guys do. We see something that doesn't make sense. And we don't think maybe I should stay away from that. No, we think let's go get closer. <laughs> Isn't that human nature? This is a weird thing I've never seen before. Let me get a closer look. Do you, why is that, fellas? Why do we do that? Why do we, I? Um, um, a few weeks ago, um, nobody believes me, but a few weeks ago, I swear, I saw a bobcat walk across my back deck. All right. So I have this room in my house that has a big window that overlooks the backyard of my house. It's a, it's a wooded area. It's a lot like your, your guys' has a lot of woods, a lot of squirrels and critters and stuff around. I've got a deck back there. And I'm sitting there working and I look up and, and I, a bobcat runs across. And it was so fast, I couldn't get my, my camera out fast enough and take a picture. But nobody believes me, that's okay. I'm telling the truth. I told my wife, she goes, a bobcat, huh? Hmm. So yesterday, same room. It's about 6.30 in the morning and I'm, I'm working and, and I look out the window, same deck, same direction and I see the rear end of something run under my deck. Now I've become quite accustomed to knowing and identifying rear ends of animals, all right? <laughs> we we've got them all figured out. And that was not a rear end I'd seen very much of, okay, it's not a squirrel, it's not a possum, it's not a skunk, it's not these things. It was, I think, another bobcat. And I'm like, oh. And, and I hop up immediately, and I don't have any shoes on or nothing. I, I, I might mean, have clothes on, but I have any shoes on. And I, and, I, and I grab my phone, and I run out on my deck, and the squirrels are going nuts. I have learned since a couple weeks ago, squirrels are on the menu of Bobcats. And so I, I have squirrels all over the place. And do you know what a squirrel panicking sounds like? YouTube, and this is what I'm hearing, okay? And it is loud, and they ma- and I've never heard them make this noise, so I'm going. There's got to be a predator. This is a bobcat, and I'm I'm out on my deck, and I've got my phone. I'm just trying to get anything, and I'm like, this thing, he's going to pop out, and then it hit me. I'm tracking down a bobcat in my bare feet, and I don't want to tangle with a bobcat, and I'm like, why is it, fellas, that we run towards things we don't understand? So I was like this is my phone. I was unarmed. (laughs) I never did see it. But here's Moses. He sees this thing he's never seen before. He's been, he's been in these lands for 40 years and he's never seen this. So he goes in for a closer look because that's what we do. It says in verse four, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. So not only is Moses seeing something that he has never seen before, now he is hearing things that he has never heard before. And it's a voice that calls Moses by name and this voice tells Moses to do two things. Don't come any closer and kick off your shoes. And he says, the reason you're not coming any closer is because where you're standing is holy ground. You are in the presence of, of God. And there is a significant spiritual reality here with this encounter. There exists a gap, a distance between God and man. It is a gap that we would learn later in the New Testament that Jesus came to bridge through his death on the cross and his resurrection. He reconciled God to man. But let me tell you something sinful man cannot approach a perfect God without Jesus. He says, Moses, you keep your distance. And then he says, you're going to kick off your shoes. And this is an act of great respect and reverence. Many cultures do this. It's something that Moses would have understood. And God's like, you get your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And you don't approach the, uh, approach the creator of the universe without respect and reverence. And had Moses not done these things, I doubt he would have survived the encounter, if you want to know what I think. So if you look at verse 6, and then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Let there be no mistaken identity here. God is being very specific with Moses when he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, bringing up Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's a, there's a significant reason for that. Because God's like, I want you to know who I am. By bringing up their names, he is referencing the promise that he made to Abraham, that uh, that uh, he was going to raise up a mighty nation out of Abraham's bloodline, and in doing that, God is identifying: this is the God that I am, which also makes him the God of the universe. He is the Creator. He is the one true God. He let there be no mistake. Who I am? The very people who are living in slavery right now, under the uh, oppressive power of the Egyptians. Those are my people. Make no mistake who I am. Now, as far as we know, this is the first time that God has audibly spoken into this situation in around four centuries. It's been that long. That's right. This burning bush experience near the mountain of God is the first time that God has verbally interjected himself into the story. The last time we hear God's voice is in Genesis chapter 46. Rewind the the timeline, 400 years. And in Genesis 46 verse 2, God says this to Jacob. God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am. He replied, I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. That was the last time. And now, four centuries of heavenly silence has been broken when God set that bush on fire and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. I'm here. It's it's a very similar kind of conversation. So with that much passage of time, God needed to make it super clear. Make no mistakes, who I am. There's been 400 years go by, this is who I am. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the one that made this promise. And on a little side note here, I find it interesting. I I, I see this parallel conversation happening between Genesis 46 and Exodus 3. Back in Genesis 46, what is he saying? Jacob, I need you to go to Egypt. And here we are in Exodus 3. Moses... I'm going, sending you to Egypt. I mean, it's very similar kind of conversation. We're still talking about Egypt here. So God breaks 400 years of silence. He makes his identity clear. And I'm not going to elaborate on this next idea too much because it's going to come up many times and we're going to tackle this later in the book of Exodus. Um, Actually, it's going to be something that gets brought up a lot throughout the whole Old Testament, God's whole journey with the Israelites. When you examine where we are in the story, Moses spent 40 years of his life in Egypt. That's his first 40 years. Egypt was a very polytheistic society. In other words, they worshiped many gods. They had a god for everything. And Moses was educated in all the ways of the Egyptians, which means not only in their politics, their culture, but also in their religions and their gods and what they believed. So Moses had exposure to all of these many false gods. And we have to ask the question, when Moses is in his early 80s and he's standing out in the wilderness and he's talking to God through this burning bush, what exactly was Moses' understanding of God in that conversation? What did he know? What did he believe? I think it's a really hard thing to pinpoint, to be quite honest with you. But what is very clear is that for the last several hundred years, the Israelites, God's people, have been fruitful and multiplying and they had been growing into a large group in the nation of, Israel, or excuse me, nation of Egypt. And while they were doing that, they were living side by side of a culture that believed in many gods. And what they practiced and what they believed looked a whole lot different than the relationship that God had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and so God's like saying, let there be no mistaking here who I am. I am not like all those other so-called gods that you and the Israelites have been exposed to Throughout your entire lives, my identity and my place are well established. Now, I said this a couple of weeks ago when we started this series. It's a good place to bring it in as a reminder. As we study the Exodus, it is not so much about God getting his people out of Egypt, as much as it is God getting Egypt out of his people. These false gods, these polytheistic thinking, this worldliness, this culture, it is going to be a battle for generations to come to get this mentality out of his people and to understand exactly who we are dealing with. We are dealing with God. And friends, when you think about our walk with the Lord today and what we are trying to do, I can tell you establishing exactly who God is, is of utmost importance. Who is God I can tell you, the God that we worship is the God who loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son to this world to die on a cross. And whoever so believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the God that we worship. The God of the Bible. That's our God. And I can tell you, it burns me to no end when I hear coming from the pulpits of America a mixed message about exactly who our God is. And they'll try to make our God associate with all the other religions and you'll hear craziness come from our pulpits That like we all kind of worship the same God. We have different expressions of our faith and all this other nonsense. We do not worship the same God. We do not worship the Muslim God. We don't worship the Hindu God. We worship Jehovah God. And he is unique. And there's no mistaking his identity and we cannot be unclear. It's the God of the Bible. And here you have God speaking to Moses, let there be no mistaking who I am. I am not like any of those other gods that you have exposure to. I'm different. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That makes me the one true God, the God above all gods. So with his identity squarely in focus in this conversation, we come to verse six. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezzarites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And there it is, very clearly, right from the mouth of God himself. I have heard from them. Here's what I'm going to do for them. And this is how you, Moses, fit into it all. So so God is very clear. This this is what I'm all about. This is is what's gonna happen. And I'll just tell you that these few verses right here, it may not have hit you this way on a first read, but I think it will hit you on a second, third, and fourth read. That these few verses that we just read should be among some of the most comforting verses in all of Scripture. What is God communicating? God is saying, I hear, I see, and I know. I know. Not one thing that the Israelites have been experiencing all these hundreds of years has escaped God's notice. Not one lashing of a whip, not one brick that was made, not one hardship that they had endured, not one thing God has ever escaped God's notice. He's seen it all, sees it, hears it, knows it. And you know, you, you might've walked in here this morning and, and you, might, you might be wondering this right now. I wonder if God sees me. I wonder if God knows what I'm going through. I wonder if God is paying attention to the details of my life. And you might even go so far and say, I don't know if God's paying attention to me. I, I, I can't tell if he's paying attention to me. You might be in here today and you might be wondering as you look over the landscape of our country and you might be wondering, God... Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Certainly, Lord, you've got to be seeing this. this. This can't have escaped your notice. And you might have even taken that a step forward and say, God, I don't understand why you don't step in and do something about this. I wonder if the Israelites ever thought to themselves, we haven't heard a peep out of God in a long time. I wonder if he's forgotten about us. I wonder if he's changed his mind about us. I wonder if he no longer wants to make a, a wonderful nation out of our family. I, I wonder if he just, at some point, just said, oh, fooey on all of them. I'm gonna do something different. But we are reminded in these verses that regardless of what we may be thinking about or what we might be concerned about happening in our lives and what's happening in the world around us, we can rest assured today That God sees, God hears, and God knows everything. And at just the right time, his providential hand will reach out and act. That's our God. Now, as we keep reading the rest of chapter 3 and and get well into chapter 4 today, I, I, I don't want to oversimplify it, but if I had to just sum up what the next chapter and a half says to us, it's this. It is Moses trying to convince God that he's got the wrong guy, all right? So if you haven't read this before, let me just tell you, the next chapter and a half is all Moses trying to lay out all the reasons for why he's not the right guy to go to Egypt because Moses heard loud and clear that God's got a plan for him and you're gonna go to Egypt. He's like, nah, let me lay out for you my five-point plan for why this is not the right call, God, now, we read this all these years later, and, and it's easy for us to stand on this side of the scripture and go, what Moses should have done is after hearing from God, his voice out of the burning bush, Moses should have snapped to attention like a well-trained soldier and said, yes, sir, what's my next duty, sir? Where do you want me to go? And, and that's kind of, weird, but that's not Moses' response. You would think that after hearing God's voice and seeing the manifestation of God in this bush that Moses would have been ready to storm the gates of hell with God. That's what you think Moses would would do because we see ourselves going, I wouldn't have pulled that. I wouldn't have pulled an excuse. I'd I'd have done what God wanted me to do. Well, not so fast. What Moses will do whether he meant it this way or not is he's going to lay out all of his insecurities before God, and he's going to question all of God's wisdom? And friends, I'm just here to tell you that that sounds, and it's going to sound a lot like the same things we do. I think when you kind of analyze here, we're going to do it in a moment about all of Moses' excuses. I think you're going to say that's I've sounded like that before, and I've had these same objections where you've ever verbalized them or not. The first thing he says to God is like, God, I have no credibility. In fact, if you're taking notes today and you just want to keep track of what we're doing, it's in the app, you say, there was a big lack of credibility. He says to God in verse 11, who am I? I'm a nobody. I don't know why you're asking me. I'm a nobody. And you look at verse 13, what's he say? He says, suppose I do go. Let's just, let's think this through out, God. Let's, let's look at how this all goes together. Let's say I do go. And I say, hey, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and then they ask me, hmm, what's his name? Let's see if you know him. What's his name? What do I tell him? Because I'm not so sure Abraham, excuse me, Abraham, Moses, these names get confusing sometimes, Moses, really could tell. What do I tell him? What's your name? I think Moses is doing what we do at times. When when we feel the call of God to do something, we feel that urge of the Holy Spirit, and and we say, no one's going to believe me. Who am I? I got nothing. Why should they listen to me? Maybe in the back of Moses' mind, maybe he's also thinking that he gets to Egypt. He's just, it's like what we do. Let's, let's play this out. How do, let's role play this. How's this gonna work out? What if I get there and I say, hey, I'm Moses. And yeah, I'm kind of from the neighborhood. And they're like, oh, we remember you. You're that rich kid. You're that rich spoiled brat. Thought you, you could just, you know, do whatever you wanted. We know who you are. And I think maybe Moses like, oh, well, what if they say that? Or what if they say, oh, no, 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 we know you. We've heard the stories. Yeah, when no one was looking, you murdered that dude. Why should we listen to you? I don't know. All the scenarios that Moses was going on in mind, it's the same kind of thing we do. It's like, uh, no one's gonna listen to me. I, I, you know, whatever. He's got a credibility problem. But here's what God told him about that issue that's going on in his mind. He's like, when, when you go there, and they ask who I am, you just tell them this. You you say these exact words. You say, I am has sent me to you. That's it. You say that, you're gonna be good. In fact, we'll see the exact words God said. Look at verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. This is a whole sermon all by itself. So I'm actually, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna send you on a deep dive. Some of you have asked me, I wanna go deeper into the book of Exodus. So here's my assignment for you. Verse 14 and 15 is your assignment. This is your deep dive, and I want you to dive into this name of God. And I want you to see how it directly links to Jesus in the New Testament. But I'm going to let those of you who are interested dive into that. But for our purposes today, just know this that when God said, I am who I am, I am, is, is sending you. God is said, did, He is separating Himself from all the false gods that they are familiar with. I am not like them. I am different. I'm the one true God. That's what he's saying. I'm above all things. I was here at the beginning and I'll be here at the end. I'm the God that never changes. I will saying yesterday, today, and forever. I'm an eternal God and I'm an unchangeable God. That's who is sending you and I am not like any of those other gods that they know. That's who I am. I am who I am is God's way of communicating to Moses or through Moses and to Moses and to the Israelites that the deliverance of the Israelites has nothing to do with, with Moses' credibility, but it has everything to go do with God's ability. This is God's doing. It's not Moses' doing. So Moses' credibility has very little to do with it. This is about God's Ability. I'm doing this. And God's like saying, I have the credibility and I have the ability. And Moses, you need to trust me and you need to obey me. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter how good you think you were or are or anything about what's happening now. You need to trust me in this. So as you read the rest of Exodus chapter 3 and you move into chapter 4, you're going to read that God lays out his plan in great detail To Moses, this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and you're going to do this. And and he just lays it. It's like this this great preview of a movie that blows the ending for you. It's too much preview. Now, I know this is, you read it, and you're going to see God lays out exactly how things are going to unfold. And then we come to chapter four, and Moses is letting God know about something else, an insecurity, something like, he says, no one's going to believe me because I don't have any evidence to prove it. So I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna say that God did this and that and, and what makes them believe the words that I'm saying? Look at chapter four, verse one. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? So in other words, Moses is gonna show up, he's gonna gather all the leaders of Israel together and he's gonna tell them about this burning bush experience and they're gonna say, yeah, right. Yeah, right. And he goes, what? I don't have any evidence. So obviously, since I don't have any evidence, you shouldn't send me. The great I am, I don't think that's going to get it done, Lord. And, and this is where God's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to give you some evidence. And, and if you've read it, this is some of the most remarkable verses in Exodus. God says, hey, what's that in your hand? It's my shepherd's staff. Because every shepherd, remember, he was out there tending his flocks, so probably he's holding it the whole time. And he goes, I want you to throw that on the ground. Do you remember what happens when he does that? He throws it on the ground and it turns into a snake. And the Bible says Moses runs away, which is exactly what I would have done (laughs) because I do not like snakes. Consequently, um, Pastor Dave came and knocked on my office on Thursday, David, and he said, hey, we found a snake in the church. I'm like, oh, and he shows it to me. Now, some of you, and many people say this, that, that you draw a line, you say there are good snakes and then there are bad snakes. I make no such distinction in my worldview of snakes. So in my mind, I'm like let's get rid of it. And by get rid, of, get rid of it, I mean, let's kill it and get rid of it because I don't like snakes. Now, if you can forgive me, if that offends you, I'm, I'm sorry. just how I feel. And, um, and, but, you, but those of you that, that love snakes and you love all this stuff, you can go give Pastor David a high five because Pastor David safely returned the snake to its family on Thursday. So I'm assuming it's alive and well. Here's Moses. He throws this staff down, and it becomes a snake. And he runs away in fear of this snake. Now, I have wondered, and I don't know if you've ever wondered this at all, but like, what kind of snake did that turn into? I don't know. But here's what I think. If I was on, um, you know, a game show and I had to give my best guess, this would be it. I think it was a king cobra. I think he threw it down that thing. Like, and then, you know, the reason I say that is because the Egyptians, if you know anything about ancient Egyptians, They were infatuated with the king cobra. It's all over the walls of their tombs. It's all over their hieroglyphics. It's all over their history. You know, they would make headdresses for some of their leaders. They had a cobra on it. You know, it was a, I think it's a cobra. And like Egypt was scary, I think this cobra was scary. And then God says, All right, now, now that you've come back in the room, pick it up. Pick it up by the tail. I would struggle with this part. But Moses, he reaches down, he picks up this snake by the tail, which is a powerful visual if you think about it, that God is going to have the Egyptians by the tail. And he he picks it up and it immediately turns into a staff again. And probably he's like, whew. And God's like, if they don't believe you, do that. He's like, oh, okay, I can do that. And then he says, hey, God, or Moses, put your hand in your shirt. He does. And he pulls it out, and it's covered in leprosy. And he says, put it back in there again. He does, he pulls it out, and it's completely restored. And he goes, if they don't believe you, do that. Well, that's pretty cool. And if they still don't believe you, go get some water from the Nile River and pour it out in front of all the Israelites, and it will turn to blood, and they'll believe you. So here you have Moses saying, I can't do this because no one will believe me. And God's like, I'm gonna give you everything you need for them to believe you, everything you need. But that's still not good enough for Moses. He's like, I still don't think I'm your guy. And now he's gonna bring up a whole nother reason for, for why he's not the right guy for this. He's actually gonna bring out a, a, what he sees in himself as a personal flaw. Look at verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, uh, pardon your servant, Lord. And I think he's trying to be very respectful because he knows he is pushing his limits. Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in past or or, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow in speech and tongue. And what he's saying is, I don't talk good. (laughs) I cannot get the words out. I do not have the ability to speak the words that you are telling me I'm going to have to speak. So I cannot be your messenger. They're not going to believe me. I'm questioning the evidence. And I don't talk good. And God's starting to lose his patience. You can tell as you read this on your own. But he says in verse 11, who gave humans their mouths? Again, let there be no mistake of my identity. I am the creator God. So who gave you your mouth to begin with? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I'll teach you what to say. And this is not the first time or the last time God is gonna do this with people. And it's not the last, and God still does this today. I truly believe that empowered by the Holy Spirit, God will put the right words in your mouth at just the right time for his purposes in that situation. But Moses had a hard time believing it. So, but God is saying, you got nothing to worry about because it's me who's doing it through you. And then look at verse 13, Moses said, "Um, pardon your servant. And here we are at the crux of the matter. Please, Lord, send someone else. And as you can imagine, this didn't sit well with God. In fact, it made God angry at Moses. Because here God is putting his flimsy personal uh, insecurity in front of an almighty God and his destiny for his life. I'll never be able to know the answer to this question that I have, but I wonder how many people have ever lived and fell way short of God's destiny for their lives. Because of an insecurity, because of a a Moses-like interaction with God, I'm not good enough. There's somebody better than me. I wonder if these kind of phrases have ever stopped us from becoming the very thing that God has called us to become. So God has a solution. He's like, fine. We're gonna bring Aaron along with you, and he'll do some of the speaking. Now, Moses thought that God had the wrong guy. Moses thought he didn't have credibility. He didn't think anybody was gonna believe him. He was personally too flawed to be God's man. And if you think about it, these are the very reasons people use today for not following through with what God has for their lives. And we're not all that different from Moses. And I hope you're starting to see Moses as a real person. He is a biblical giant, but in Exodus 3, he sounds a lot like us. I've said this many times before, and we've, we've studied this through extensively as a church family, but it's a good place to remind you of it. That God has a habit of using the least likely of people in the world for his purposes. He really does. The most unlikely of candidate God uses to do his will. God has a way of using us and pushing forward his agenda in spite of us. And I've often wondered if this is something too, somewhat at least to what Paul was talking about in the New Testament when he was talking about this thorn that he had in this flesh. that He begged God to take it away and God wouldn't do it. Second Corinthians 12, 8 says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. We're not exactly sure what it was. This affliction, this weakness, this insecurity, whatever it was, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." Those words from Paul and what I'm understanding is happening with Moses and all the excuses that I've ever made in the world for not doing what God wanted me to do. It just reminds me that God can use us in spite of our weaknesses, and he often does, that God works through the very insecurities, the I don't think I'm the guy, I don't think I can do it, I don't talk good, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, all those things, God works through that stuff, and when he does, there is no mistaking who should get the glory for it. Because at the end of the day, when God works through all of those things, what else is there to say except, look what God did? Because I certainly couldn't do it. But look what God did. And this is exactly the place that Moses will land eventually. Look what God did. Let there be no mistake that it was the God of all gods who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, it wasn't Moses. It wasn't Aaron. It wasn't by their wit. It wasn't by their advanced planning. It wasn't any of that. It was God. And that is, my friends, the whole point. Now, Moses and Aaron, they do obey, and they go on to Egypt. And we're going to come circle back with this next time. But if you jump down to verse 29, look what happens. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. So in other words, they went and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. So here you have Aaron's doing the talking for Moses. But it's, you have to understand, this is like Moses, but coming out of Aaron's mouth. He also performed the signs before the people. What signs are those? The, the staff to the snake, the hand with the leprosy, and the water into blood. He performed all those things. And they believed. In other words, all that stuff that Moses was worried about was irrelevant because they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them, let me read between the lines, when they heard that God actually was responding to their prayers and that Moses was the rescuer, the deliverer, the answer to their prayers, they're not giving Moses the glory here. Where is their glory targeted towards Where it should, God. So they believed, and their praise and worship was focused on God, because this is the source. This is God's ability, God's credibility. When they heard the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. If you know the rest of the Exodus story, then you already know without a shadow of a doubt, only one gets credit for it all, and that is God. And I'm gonna help you see that as we get through this. And Moses has got a lot of lessons to learn between now and then, but it's an incredible story. But let me pray for you, and and let's just ask God's help in understanding all this. Lord, as always, we just thank you for your holy word. We thank you, Lord, for how, as always, we wanna thank you for how it teaches us and guides us and shapes us and molds us into the kind of people we are to be. But Lord, I just feel the need to pray over our church family because there are many insecurities that rest upon this place. Lord, I feel in my heart there are plenty of people in here who have spent a lifetime talking themselves out of why they're not the person that you would ever use for anything. Lord, if that might be a a shady past, Lord, I pray they see beyond it. Lord, if that might be mistakes that they have made, Lord, help them see it's irrelevant when you call our name. Lord, I pray that you help us to see the things that you have called us to do. And Lord, it may not be as grand as leading a people across a sea. It could be having a conversation with your neighbor. It could be the moment where you answer God's call and you step up to serve. It could be a million things that you've raised us up for a specific purpose and Lord, help us to meet you there. Lord, there's, there's a little bit of Moses in all of us. Help us see it. Lord, I pray you identify it in all of our lives right now through your spirit and that Lord, when the opportunity comes, we will not back down, but we will trust you and watch you work. So Lord, this is our prayer. We know it's all possible because you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And that Lord, you conquered sin's worst consequence was his death when you rose to life. So Lord, we already know the end of the story is a grand one in heaven. And Lord, our job is to take as many people there as we can. So Lord, you've equipped us. You've given us the call. I pray God, just help us respond faithfully. And we sit back and watch you get all the glory for it all. So Lord, this is our prayer. And we thank you in advance for all you're doing through our church family, through us individually. And Lord, we pray that your work in this place never stop. In Jesus' name.